you have a Bible, take it and turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, as we continue to go through this Sermon on the Plain, very similar to the Sermon on the Mount in different ways, sort of abbreviated. And um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36 this morning. We've talked about how um, Jesus is bringing a kingdom like none other. This this kingdom that is just different from anything that anyone else has ever seen. And we looked last week to see those that are blessed in this kingdom. And the people that are blessed in this kingdom are those that are poor, hungry, mourning, and hated. Those are the people in God's kingdom that are seen as blessed. And the ones that are unfortunate are the rich, and the fool, and the laughing, and the popular. Those are the people in God's kingdom that are seen to be unfortunate. Pretty amazing when you think about it. This morning, though, we're going to talk about how does this kingdom respond to enemies? You think about any kingdom, any kingdom has to have some sort of response to those that are coming up against it. Um, What will we do with enemies? That seems like a strange question, doesn't it? What do you do with enemies? Well, you defeat them. You kill them, you throw them out if they're from within. That's how you deal with enemies. But in the kingdom of God, in this kingdom like none other, What do we do with enemies of the kingdom? Jesus is going to say something very strange, very counter to the way that we think. And the the main idea is not just love for enemies, but that as followers of Jesus, we are called to be set apart by the radical nature of our love. I think that's really what Jesus is getting at. That as his followers, we are to be set apart, we are to be different. And it will be seen by the radical nature of our love, by the way that we love and how how amazing and how countercultural it is. That will set us apart as people that are a part of Christ's kingdom. Hear these words from Luke six, twenty seven through thirty six. I pray you'd hear them with fresh ears and allow them to shock you, because that is what they are meant to do. Beginning in verse twenty seven, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be set apart by the radical nature of our love. Notice right at the beginning there's a contrast. But I say to you who hear. In Matthew's account of this sermon, it says in Matthew 5.34, Jesus opens some of the same teachings and he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. 
So the contrast drawn there in Matthew is between the old law, the old way of of loving, and this new law of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. Here in Luke, the, the contrast seems to be linked back to those that he just talked about. Those that are are rich and full and laughing and popular. And he's saying, in contrast to them, those of you who hear, those of you who are ready and, and able and willing to listen, those that are that are rich and full and, and popular and laughing, they reject these words. They're not going to listen to them. But you who hear, you who are willing to listen, I want you to listen to what I'm going to say to you. It's a great way to start this, isn't it? It's a great question for us. Are we ready to hear? Are we going to listen to what Jesus has to say? Because it is it is radical. It is counter to the way that we want to live our lives. And he is saying here, are you ready to hear this call that I'm going to place on your life? If you are true citizens of my kingdom, are you ready to listen to what I'm going to tell you? And so I pray that we would be ready to, to hear, not just with our ears, but, but to hear with our hearts. And then that, that would change us, that we would do something with our hands and with our feet, because that's what Jesus wants us to do. So he begins in verses 27 through 28. He gives four commands to four groups of, about four groups of people. That's just one way to think about it. Four commands uh, to uh, concerning four groups of people. Just note this. Luke seems to like the number four. I don't know. People say that. You think about blessed are the 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 poor, hungry, weeping, and mourning. Four. There's another set of four after that. Here's four different um, commands to four different groups of people. So isolate these commands first. In verse 27, the commands are love, then do good, third, bless, and fourth, pray for. Those are the commands. Love, do good, bless, and pray for. Let's just think about the commands before we think about who they're directed, what we're supposed to, who we're supposed to do that for. We can see them as four separate commands. You could see them as kind of like we saw the Beatitudes that we looked at. We said, blessed are the the poor, hungry, weeping, hated ones, that kind of just one big group. I think a good way to think about it, though, is that the overarching command is love your enemies. And then Jesus kind of goes, what is that love going to look What does love look like? Love will look like um, doing good. It will look like blessing. It will look like praying for. That's what that's what love is going to be expressed as. So the overarching command is is to love. I think that makes sense, especially in light of the other ones too. So the overarching command is love, and then we think about these four groups: your enemies. Well, what are the enemies? Who who are our enemies? He describes them. It's those who hate you, those who abuse you. I skipped one. Those who hate you, those who curse you, and those who abuse you. That's what your enemies look like. So love your enemies. The way that you love is by doing good, by blessing, and by praying for. Who are your enemies? They are those who hate you. They are those who curse you. And they are those who abuse you. That's that's who our enemies are. So this base command of Jesus is what? Love your enemies. And that's really what he's going to just circle around and hit from different angles all throughout this passage. What does it look like for us to love our enemies. That's the command. Now, love your enemies. What does that mean? How am I supposed to do that, Jesus? So, we should be clear, first of all, though, what, what does he mean by love? When we think about love, you think about kind of a feeling, right? 
it's a flutter in your stomach or it's a, a tear in your eye because something is emotional, is you have compassion. We we love lots of different things. You love a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you love your, your spouse, we love our family, we love a sports team, um, you love a restaurant, I love a good cup of coffee. You know, we, we love things. And and most of the time, what are we talking about? We're talking about a feeling. It's something that that makes us happy, that 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 brings us joy, it evokes these strong feelings of happiness and and delight. And because I delight in this, I love it. And th- and there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's good. You should we should love our spouses. And I'm perfectly okay with loving a good cup of coffee. But th- just to get at what does the word mean here? Jesus here, as he calls us to love, it appears to be more rooted. If I could say it this way, it's more rooted in our hands and feet than it is in our heart and our feelings. In other words, to love in Jesus' terms is it's more about what we do than about what we feel. It's actively seeking the good of our enemies. But we could say even it's to actively seek the good of others regardless of how we feel about them. It doesn't really matter how you feel about them. You are to seek good. You are to love them. That's what the, the love is. It's it's commanded to, to do good. To find ways to express love to people, even if we don't necessarily like them. To bless them, that is to love. To speak good things is to love. To pray for, that is an expression of love. And so these are all rooted in things that we are to do. So love is an, ex- it's, it's not something that we feel necessarily, but it's, it's more what we do. It's an expression of action. Now you might say, can you love in an active way without feeling love? I think that's a good question, isn't it? Can you love someone by doing good for them, but really not like them very much? Can you pray for someone and thereby love them, but really not like them very much? It would seem in the case of enemies that that our love is primarily going to be found in our actions, not in our feelings. But hopefully what will happen is that the feelings will follow. That we take that first step to love and then that the feelings would follow. Because this is something supernatural. And so it's something that God has to do in us. God has to supernaturally change our hearts. Let me give you a a testimony from um, Corey Ten Boom. I've, I've shared some from this book, The Hiding Place. Corey Ten Boom was um, imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II with her sister, her sister Betsy. Uh, her sister died just before they were released. She saw so many atrocities in that place and yet came through um, with the joy of the Lord. And right at the end of this memoir, she had been going around and was able to speak and to share the forgiveness um, that God was teaching her throughout this. And she says this, It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's plain blanched fa- pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. Can you imagine being her, seeing this Nazi garden? His hand was thrust out to shake mine, 
And I, who had preached so often to the people the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. This is the key thought. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Isn't that powerful? I mean, that's an enemy there. And she learned in the midst of that that it was not something that if, that that sprang out of her feelings of love for this person, but it was an actively expressing love, doing love, that then the feelings followed. That's the love that Jesus is calling us to, and it is supernatural, and it is something that he will give to us. The reason that the emphasis is on action and not on feelings is because he's talking about a love that doesn't flow from the merit of the recipient. We're not expressing love to our enemies because we, des- we, we view them as deserving of love or because they have shown love first. In fact, our initial desire when faced with enemies will, to be, show the, will be to show the opposite of love. It's going to be sh- to show hatred and jealousy and, and revenge. Because who are our enemies? I mean, think about who Jesus is saying we are supposed to love. The explanatory phrase is for enemies there. It's those who hate you. Those who who despise us. Our presence to them is like the smell of rotting trash. They hate us. Bless those who curse you. These are the, the, the people that curse you. These are people that, that wish evil upon you. They hope that disaster and misfortune will come into your life. Those who hate you, those who curse you, those who abuse you, those who despitefully use you, as one translation says, they they threaten, they mistreat us. If love is to seek good and blessing for others, then our enemies are those that, that desire bad things to happen to us. They pray that our lives would be plagued with difficulty and pain. They are against us. That's who our enemies are, and Jesus says we are to love them. In the context of Luke 6, we could think of verse 22. It's those who persecute followers of Christ. So our enemies are not simply people who don't like us. They are people who don't like us because of our faith in Christ. That's why they hate us. On account of our love of the Son of God, they despise us. That's who our enemies are. But the category actually goes further, which we see in, in verses 29 through 30. We see these these four commands about four different groups, and now we're going to see four examples. Four examples of what it looks like to love our enemies. Jesus gives us these wonderful examples. Read those verses again. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. So this is the the classic turn your other cheek. It's probably not limited just to um, physical abuse, but probably insults. And so when we are insulted, we are to respond with love. 
when a fault, when we are falsely accused or when we are mocked, when we are verbally abused by others, the love of Christ calls us not to retaliate, not to come up with a really good zinger to get them back with. That when they insult us, we turn the other cheek, as it were, and say, I'll take another insult, rather than, than coming back with more biting words. The next example is, if someone takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Your cloak would be your outer coat. Your tunic would probably be the shirt underneath. And so if someone takes your coat, you're to give your shirt as well. In Matthew, actually, it's interesting, they're reversed. If someone takes your shirt, you should give them your coat. And some commentators say that that's probably referring to like a lawsuit. But here, it's it's highway robbery. Someone comes and steals your coat. And you give them your shirt as well. I'm reminded of um, Les Miserables. I, I don't know if you've seen, they, they just recently did the movie. I, I've seen the musical before. I'll be honest, I have not read the book, and so I'm just basing this off of what I've seen in the musical. <laughs> but there's a scene where the criminal, um, Jean Verjean, shows up. Uh, he's, he's housed by a priest, and in the middle of the night, he wakes up and he steals some silver. And he, and he leaves the house with these articles he's going to sell, and, he's, and he's, he takes off. Well, the police catch him, and they bring him back to this priest's house, and they call him to, to have him account for what he has done. And the priest, when he sees this man who had stolen things from him and all the articles that he had stolen, instead of saying, give those things back, he says, he says, you forgot these as well. You forgot to take these things. And he gives him more and sends him on his way and does not call him to account for what he had stolen. Isn't that amazing? I think that's kind of what's what's getting at. When someone steals from you, we don't we don't ask for it back. That's what it's going to say later. But even that we, if we're taken advantage of, that we don't even stop it. The next one here: give to everyone who begs from you. the The word "beg" there is is almost the idea of demanding. It's someone who who presumes upon you, who who says it's not simply that they're asking you to show generosity, but they're almost forcing you to do it. You need to give this to me. You are required to give this to me. Have you felt that? Maybe. Maybe even not from, from enemies, but from family members that they say, you ha- this is required of you. You are presumed upon. So we're told that when someone takes advantage of our kindness, when they even force our hand, that we are to give to them. We are to freely give. It's getting harder, isn't it? <laughs> from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. So we're thinking about these situations when we're insulted, when we're taken advantage of, when we're presumed upon. I think we could just say when we're sinned against. This picture of someone being robbed, and Jesus says that you have the opportunity to take back what was taken from you, but you don't. You you leave it to them. You don't demand your goods back. These are all terrible situations. People insulting you. People stealing the coat off your back. Um, people demanding money from you, people taking away things that belong to you. And Jesus says in all these terrible situations, we should not do what our gut says to do. (laughs) Because my gut says retaliate. My gut says take it all back. My gut says this is mine and I'm going to come back at you. In each of these, Jesus though says that we are to love. We are to show radical, supernatural love. That if we are insulted, we do not insult in return. That if we are, if something is taken from us, we choose to give more. We don't withhold good from good from people. We don't take back things that they have taken 
from us. This is a, a radical, supernatural love that Jesus is calling us to, to love our enemies. So there's four commands given to these about these four groups of people, and then we have four illustrations, and then we boil it down to just one simple statement. One simple statement in verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. It's the golden rule, right? What you would have, what you desire others to do for you, you do for others. There were negative statements of this within Jewish tradition. Uh, some of the teachers taught, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole Torah, while the rest is commentary thereof. That's that's one of the quotes. So if, if you don't want something done to you, don't do that to your neighbor. And Jesus goes above and beyond. He says it's not just about not doing bad things to your neighbor. It's about doing good things for your enemies. <laughs> so it's not that we're just not supposed to be mean. But rather, we're to be good, and not just to our neighbor, but to all people, including our enemies. This gets back to the main point, doesn't it? As followers of Jesus, we are called to be set apart by the radical nature of our love. We should be characterized as followers of Jesus, as people who willingly and sacrificially love others. And that there is no one that is excluded from our love. That our love for others isn't rooted in the worthiness of the, of the recipient. That it doesn't matter who they are, they are welcome to receive our love. Now at this point we get uncomfortable, right? And at this point we start to bring up objections. Well, what about this situation? What if I know that they're going to use the money in a bad way? What if we come up with all of the different circumstances and exceptions where turning the cheek is foolish? Where giving up our shirt is simply unwise? And I will admit, there is room for wisdom here. Jesus himself, when he was when he was struck on the cheek, did not turn the other cheek, but rather asked, why, why did you hit me? Uh, there are times when giving money is unwise. We could go down the list. There are exceptions. There is there are, there is pl- a place for wisdom here. But we're not going to talk about any of those. <laughs> because the point is, Jesus is using hyperbole. He's purposely speaking in extremes because he wants us to see how strong this love is supposed to be, how unique the love that flows from his kingdom is supposed to be. This is something that is supernatural. It's beyond anything we could imagine. And and many of us are going to step back and just say, you know what, it's too much. When we look at that first, those of you who hear, I'm just not, I mean, I'm going to do my best, uh, but this is too much. Jesus is asking me to do something that is beyond my capability. I'm going to love those who love me. I'm going to do good to those who do good to me. I'm going to give to people that I know will return the money or that I that I trust. And you can do that very well if you would like to do that. But that kind of love is not supernatural. And it's not the unique love of the kingdom of God. It's the, In fact, it's not anything special. That's what Jesus says in this next section. Verses 32 through 34, he says, just read these. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners... Love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So it's fine. If you want to love those who love you and do good to those who do good to you, well, then you're just like everyone else. There's nothing unique about that kind of love. And on the flip side, if you would like to hate your enemies, 
If you would like to seek revenge, well, that's something we, our, our world understands very well and, and would encourage it. You're justified to be angry at people that hurt you. If something unfortunate happens to you, then you need to start thinking about how to, how to file a lawsuit against that person, right? If someone treats you with contempt, then you need to let everyone know how terrible of a person they are. If someone's there on the street begging, what is the common thing to do? It's to walk by. It's not unique to walk by. It's not unique to withhold your goods from people. So when Jesus says that Christians are to love those who are enemies, he's calling us to something unique. Because if Christians love those who love us, and if we hate those who hate us, then the response of the world is, so what? I mean, big deal. You act just like I do. There's, there's nothing different about the love that you have for other people. And that gets at this question of, of why. Why are we to love our enemies? Why does Jesus call us as citizens of his kingdom to love our enemies, to love all people, regardless of who they are, or what they have done or not done. Why is he asking us to do that? Look at the reasons in verses 34, I'm sorry, 35 and 36. But love your enemies, this is a summary, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. That's kind of a summary of everything that he said. And then this phrase, and your reward will be great. So one of the reasons is that there's a reward. There's a reward in heaven, he says. We love because we're not focused on this life. Our, our life is not focused on, on just the present, but, but the future. There is a future reward. We saw that with the blessings on the poor and the hungry and, and etc. Because they're not living just for this life. They're looking for what is to come. And so we freely give because we're not worried about treasure in this life. We're worried about treasure in the life to come. So there's a reward. But then the key is in the, these last phrases. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Now, I don't. Th this is what I don't think he's saying. I don't think he's saying that if you love your enemies, you will become sons of the Most High. That, that by loving our enemies, that is how we gain status as children of God. But rather that... If we love our enemies, you will be sons of the Most High. You will you will reflect your Father. You will reflect who God is. People look at my dad and they say, I know what you're going to look like when you're older, Andy. You're going to look just like your dad. Uh, and I find myself walking through the house and saying things to my kids or doing something, and I think, oh, man, that's something my dad totally would have done. And as Christians, what are we supposed to do? We're to reflect our Father. So why are we to do this? Because loving our enemies is a display of the character of God seen in the gospel. That's what that's the purpose of this. We are reminded that the reason the reason we were created and the reason we have been made a new creation is in Christ is to display the majesty and the wisdom and the love and the mercy of our God. That even as we sang what we want to show the nations how great our Father is. Why do we show love to widows and orphans? Not to gain salvation, but so that we can show the world how great our Father is. Why do we love our enemies? So that people can see who God is. What And who is God? You will be sons of the Most High, for He, he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. 
That's who our God is. He's kind to his enemy. And he is merciful. He shows mercy. When we, when we love our enemies, it is a supernatural, spirit-empowered action. And it is a living and breathing example to the world of the love of God. When we give to those who are undeserving and demanding, and we expect nothing in return, then we show forth the power of the gospel because God has given us grace and mercy when we were ungrateful, evil, and rebels against Him. These acts of love, they may be small, they may be big, but if they're done in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, they are a means of showing forth the love of God. And when we do that, we extend love to our enemies, we shine the spotlight on who Jesus is. I think we need to walk through life being ready and expectant to do that. Uh, let me share an example, not not to say look at me, but just an opportunity that the Lord gave me. I was filling up with gas, and right as I was about done, a guy just kind of came over and asked if I had money for gas. He, he was trying to get somewhere. Um, and, you know, my initial reaction would be, well, why do you need it? Where are you going? You know, and, and to say, well, let me come over and pay for it for you so that I know that it's being paid for. Yes. And in that moment, I, I just by God's grace, in a supernatural way, I opened up a wallet. I had a $10 bill and a $20 bill, and I gave him, that's right, the $10 bill. If I could go back, I'd give him the $20. Um, I gave him $10, and, and he was shocked at this. Um, and I think I've been learning a lot from my friend Nate, who's just telling me stories like this, and I just said, I, this, I give you this $10 in the name of Jesus and receive blessing from him. And and that was just, you know, and he was just taken back 10 bucks. No one gives me 10 bucks when I ask for gas. He might get a buck or maybe five, you know, how much gas can you get for a dollar anymore though? And and $10 isn't really even that much. And, and he was taken back by this kindness and I had the opportunity, I, I keep some of those, get some of those two ways to live books. We've got plenty of them. I keep them in my car and I, I drove around and he was there and I gave him one and asked him if he would read it. And he said, yeah, and, uh, you know, it's just a simple opportunity. But this is, and this guy wasn't even my enemy. He was someone who was asking me for something. He was taking something from me, and I, I didn't really know who he was, but it was just this, this simple opportunity. And no one does that. I mean, who does that when someone says, can I have money for guests? I'll tell you who does it. People who have been shown mercy. People that understand the love of God. People that are sons of the Most High. And so when he, my heart is that when he reads that book and he sees it explained, this is who God is, that he, that he loves in this way and he loves even his enemies, that he'll say, wow, kind of like that guy who didn't even know who I was and gave me ten bucks, that that's what love really looks like. It wasn't based on who I am, on my merit, but it was just kindness. And, and that that would be what we do, that we would reflect to our Father is that we would be merciful. That's, that's so simple. And again, I'm not saying that, hey, look at me, but just saying, we all have opportunities like that. To enemies and to people that are strangers that we do not know that we can say, this is what true love looks like. It's not based on who you are. It's not based on your merit. It's based on the fact that I have been shown mercy. Because that's what we're reflecting. Think about the gospel. Think about what it is that we are showing forth when we show love to enemies. We're showing forth who Jesus is and what he has done. We're showing forth that Jesus, who was despised and rejected by men, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We talk about who Jesus was, that he was reviled. We can talk about his trial and his, 
the way he was mistreated and that he did not revile in return. Jesus, who loved those of us who were hostile to him, who were against him, who hated him, who cursed him to his face. We were his enemies. And in the midst of being enemies, what does he do? He shows mercy. He shows love. He shows grace. Let me read those verses that we opened with from Romans. This is, this is the perfect complement to this teaching about loving our enemies. Romans chapter 5. Familiar verses, but think about them in light of what Jesus has just said. For while we were still weak, weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. There it is, that explanation of, hey, the love of the world will die for people that are that they like. They'll die for their friends, possibly. But, verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Here it is again. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Why do we show love for our enemies? so that we can tell them that God loves them, even though they are his enemies. That he will forgive them, that he is merciful, that he desires to bring reconciliation. It's a supernatural thing. It's only going to flow out of the Spirit working through us, and so we need to pray that that God would do it. That we would do it not simply to say, look at me showing love to my enemies, but rather that we would say, look at my Father. I want you to see the mercy that he has 